There's a story that Chuck Swindell tells of a mountain man from West Virginia who had never really seen a city, bright lights or modern inventions at all. He married a girl of the hills and they spent all their married years in the backwoods and they had a son who they creatively named Junior. When he reached his 16th birthday and his dad began to realize that it would not be many years until he would be getting out on his own and embarking upon the world, they decided, you know, we need to kind of mix him into the world and get him ready for what's out there and what he's going to see. So they began this project of a trip they were going to take with Junior into the big city. And they, they saved for three years in order to do this. And so three years had come. It took them that long to get the money. So they got the money and they had booked a stay in one of those really ritzy hotels in the city. They uh, packed up all the things in the truck and they headed on out to the city. And as they got to the city, they pulled up to where the hotel was. Huge building, bigger than anything they had ever seen. Lights, glitter, glamour. I mean, they seen stuff they had never seen before. And they pulled up to the hotel and the, the dad said, Now, Mama, you stay here while Junior and I get inside. We'll come get you afterwards. And so they, they went inside to get all the things taken care of at the desk. And as they walked into the desk, they, they looked and they saw above them the chandelier. They had never seen a chandelier before. Certainly not one this big. It stood three stories above them. Way up there, just glittering. Just, they just stood and stared. They looked over to the one side and there's this huge mall and people are shopping in the hotel. Shopping for things. All these mall stores. And then Junior nudges his dad and says, Dad, look over here. And down over here, down on the lower level, you can kind of see down to it, it's an ice skating rink. And there's people out there ice skating on the ice skating rink. And all the while this is going on here, they keep hearing this sound from behind them. And so the dad turns around and he looks and he sees this door that magically opens from the middle and slides out. And people would come up to the door and they would push a button and the doors would open and the people would get inside and then the doors would close and then the doors would open and people would come out and they didn't look the same. And they just stared at this for the longest time looking at the door open. People get in and then come out. And as they were watching, this old lady very wrinkled from age, kind of hunched over, walked over to the elevator, pushed the button, and got inside. She was the only one, so there was no one else to wait for, and the door slid closed. And not more than a short time later, very short time later, the doors opened up, and out walked this beautiful, young, 20-year-old blonde girl, (laughs) high heels, well-dressed, just looked like a knockout. And they, they just stunned looking at this, and the dad didn't take his eyes off her at all. He just nudged his son and said, Junior, go get Mama. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, sometimes we like change, don't we? <laughs> sometimes change is, is good. We entitled this one today, Don't Lose Sight of God's Will. That sometimes we are so caught up with what we have, what's going on around us, we lose sight where God has said we're going. Where God has said is ahead for us. I put this in your outline. I am led 
to believe that evil things... I misspelled that. You have to fix that for me. What I am led to believe that evil things in my life are the will of God for me. The seeds... Get this. When I am led to believe that evil things... How many have some evil things in their life? What's an evil thing? That's something that God didn't promise me and I don't like. <laughs> That's an evil thing. No, it is not your spouse. When I am led to believe that evil things in my life are the will of God for me. How many times have we seen believers who believe that something in their life that's not so good, well, God just wants this for me, I guess. I just have to go through it. When I believe that, when I am led to believe that evil things in my life are the will of God for me, the seeds of bitterness towards God are likely growing. The devil loves this atmosphere. If he can get you to believe that evil things are the will of God for your life, you will grow bitter towards God. You may not even recognize it at first, but seeds of bitterness are springing root. They're taking root in your life. And then all of a sudden they catch hold. And you go off in a direction that you don't necessarily want to. Would have gone or... Any of those things. I want to take a look at some people in the Word of God where there was a difference. There was a difference in what God had called them to, what God's will was to where they were. I put this in your outline. Is God's Word and His will the same? Yeah, we've been taught that. God's Word and His will are the same. If God promises something, said something in His Word, then His will lines up with it. He's not going to will something different that's in His Word. Is God's call and sp call for your life? Is God's call for your life? You don't have enough room for that. I just put a call. Is God's call, but just understand, is God's call for your life and His will the same? I would say so, wouldn't you? If God's call, if God says, I want you to do this, be here, do these kind of things, would that not also be His will? Yeah, absolutely. Now, take a look at Abraham. We're going to look at some verses here. I'm going to rely on a lot of memory that you have of things we've taught before on these. But here in Abraham, God's call. Just, uh, just shortening this, I just put in a, a real succinct thing. Father of many. Isn't that, isn't that God's call? I'm going to make you a father of many. Father of many. Your, your descendants are going to be so numerous you won't be able to count them. Be like the sand of the sea, the stars of the sky... God gave him a visual picture, so if he would go out at nighttime, he would have a visual picture. If he went out in the daytime, he would have a visual picture. No matter when he went out, he was reminded. Those are good. That's what my descendants are going to be like. God's word says this in Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your, fa from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is the word of God for Abram. This is what God gave him as a, as a word for him. Now here's Ab Abram's situation. He's got no kids. Right? Isn't that his situation? That's a problem. Is it something that Abraham likes? He's not happy with this thing. So here's the situation. Are they... Evil things or blessing? That's an evil thing. He's got no kids. He's supposed to be the father of many. The father of many nations. I will bless all nations from you. 
He's got a lot of blessings that depend on the descendants. But he's got none. That's an evil thing. Not a good thing. It's an evil thing. Now here's what he's caught up in. Here's his situation. I have the will of God. I have the call of God. The call of God is to be the father of many. Here's the will of God. He gave it to me in his word. And I got his word right there in front of me. Well, my life doesn't line up with that. I don't have any kids. And it was very much on his mind because when one of the times that Jesus came to minister to him, Abraham, walk before me and be blessed. How can I do that when the one who's heir of my house is not even born to me? <laughs> it's fresh on his mind, isn't it? He's not real thrilled about this thing. He's thinking about it a lot. Here is the call. Here is the word of God for Abraham's life. Here's the situation. During the beginning part of, of this promised era in his life, he is so fixed on his situation, he's losing sight of the will of God. He's losing sight of the call of God. God has called him to be the father of many nations, but he doesn't see that happening. And so, because of that, he gives into such things as, well, maybe through Hagar. Well, that worked out well. Just like Abraham, we have situations in our life. We feel like I have a call of God to do this. I have the word of God that promises me this, but here's where I am. We talked last week some about that discrepancy. We're going into a little bit more of it here this week. Here's another example. Israel in the Old Testament. Here's God's call to make a great nation out of, out of them and demonstrate the greatness of God through them. That's His call. That's the call of Israel. God wanted a nation on the face of this earth that He could set apart as a peculiar people. Ones that were, you, you folks don't have a king like other nations do. I'm your king. You don't serve idols like other nations do. You serve me. He wanted a different nation like that. And they were the, that was their call. Here's the word of God for them. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house's Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Look at that verse carefully. Look, you have given me no offspring. Who does he see as behind the fact that he has no kids? God. If you see God as being behind what it is that you've got, how is it you're not accepting that as his will? Abraham had somehow come to a place where he accepted, well, you know what? I, I know I got that promise. I know I got that call. But I don't have any kids. It must be God's will for me not to have any kids. Can you see a conflict between that being God's will and this also being God's call? Can you see a conflict between that being God's will and what his word says? But Abraham has accepted it, hasn't he? He just he adopted it. Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. Now, when God brings him out and says, no, 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 that's not the way it's going to be. He's not going to be your heir. Is God not also saying, Abraham, that's not my will for you. That's not my will for you. That's what's going on. That's what the situation is right now. But that's not my will for you. Isn't that what he's saying? Come on outside with me. Take a look up at the, at the stars. Can you count them? That's what your descendants are going to be like. Now, God doesn't re reprimand them. God doesn't smack them upside the head and say, man, you dummy, let me go find somebody who believes me. <laughs> he, he works with them, doesn't he? He helps them out. Thank God he doesn't lose patience with us either. He sticks with us. Helps us out. Well, this promise that comes to Israel, because we're looking at Israel here now, that they would be they would they would be numbered like the stars in the heavens, like the sand on the sea. This is Israel's promise. This is what the Word of God says to them. Now we look at Israel's situation. How many times has the nation of Israel been targeted for extermination? And Hitler was not the first one. They did it. Russia did it. They did it in the, back in Egypt. They did it uh, uh, back when uh, Rome had them. There were times that they tried to, to target them for, for elimination. They've been targeted more times for elimination. Genocide. Wipe them out. When all I had to do was come back to this verse. I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. Like the stars of the sky. What does that tell you about people's intentions to wipe you out? Yeah, it won't, ha won't happen. Because <laughs> look what God said. We're going to be numbered like the sand of the sea. Has anyone even come close to wiping them out? No. God said that I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you that land. Look over at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 17. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to bring you up to, I'm going to take you to the land. What kind of a land is it going to be? It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. If the land ever became anything but that, what do they say? Our land is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a promise from God. But we get so caught up in the situation that we're in, whatever the situation, we look at the situation, we take our eyes off of His promise and off of His call. It's not just unique to us, folks. People did it in the Old Testament. People did it in the New Testament. People are constantly doing it because Satan knows if he gets you off of God's call, if he gets you off of his word, if he gets you confused on what the will of God is, he can undermine and take out from you what it is that you've got. That's the goal. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the sons, the descendants of Anak there. Well, God told them in, the, in Exodus chapter 3. There's the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They're all there. 
I'm going to take you there. They're all there. I know they're there. <laughs> I'm not surprised that these guys are there. But I'm going to take you there and I'm going to give you the land. Now look at what they said, verse 27 again. Then they told him and said, We went to the land, the land that we were promised, where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. What did God promise them? I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. How many times did God tell them, I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey? Over and over and over. Then the spies come back and says, You know what? <laughs> I've never seen it before, but wow, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. This is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's kind of like that couple that went down into the big city we just talked about. They may have heard what the big city was like, but when they actually got there and saw it, wow. They may have heard all the time, yeah, 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 land flowing with milk and honey, right? Okay, got it down. Then they get there, oh yeah, it's truly a land flowing with milk and honey, but, <laughs> but, but let's not lose sight of the situation that we're in. The, the descendants of Anak are there. Great, huge, walled cities. And then they go on to the conclusion, we can't take that land. They're too great for us. See, once again, people got bogged down with their situation and lost sight of God's call and God's word. God's will is in his call. God's will is in his word. Don't lose sight of God's will for your life because of what is going on around you. Because what is going on around you speaks loudly. There is no doubt that what goes on around you speaks loudly. Now, I want to tune you all into, into something that you all do on a regular basis. How often are things going on around you loudly and you tune them out? Have you ever had it where uh, guys can probably relate to this? You're watching the football game. And it's a big play. It's third down and 18. Fourth quarter, five minutes left. We're down by a touchdown. It's third down and 18. And what are you, what are you focused on? You're focused on that ball getting to the quarterback. What is he going to do? And the phone, the door, the dog, everything is gone. All you hear is this. Your wife can even holler in from the kitchen. Honey, are you hungry? I got some fresh biscuits. I just cooked, pulled some steaks out of the oven. And what do you hear? Absolutely nothing. You completely tune it out. You are so focused in. You are so locked in on what is going on. What is going to happen that you don't care if the house falls down? It'll have to wait until after the play is over. You are focused in. You are ready. You see, we can do that. We as people can focus in. And we can tune other things out. Hey, but when you were little and you're in the mall. And thousands of people are in the mall walking around. And they're all talking. Saying stuff. And you can, if you listen, you can hear them. But if you ever got separated from your parents in a busy place and you're looking for them, you got all these voices. But then all of a sudden what happens? You hear one voice. Moms or dads or someone, you hear that voice. It echoes out over everything else. And I can tune into that voice. Oh, wait, wait. I know that voice. You tuned out everything else, didn't you? We do this all the time. 
We can tune out whatever we want to. Whatever we want to, we can tune it out. It makes no difference. Do you ever see those football players? You know, they're playing with an injury. Hockey players bleeding and playing. And, and, and I know especially the, the women look at that and they think their guys are trying to be macho. You do not, if you're not a man, you don't know what this is like. You have the total ability to tune out any pain to keep on going. I'm not trying to be macho. You just have that ability. You can tune out any pain and keep on playing. Even for stuff that doesn't have a great cause. I took a puck in the eye. Got cut. Needed stitches. I wanted to keep playing. I kept playing. But they told me, they said, you can't keep playing. You're bleeding all over the floor. So I had to go. I got on down to the, the ER and my whole face and this whole side is covered with blood. All the way on down. I drove to the ER. Full face coming down, covered with blood. I walk up to them. Their eyes got big. They were, oh, they were ready to jump in action. I said, it's not as bad as it looks. And it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as it looked. It was not all, all that bad. You, you would be surprised at what you can, you can tune out. You can just keep on playing. You can keep on going if you want to. But the thing is, you've got to want to go after the call, to go after what His Word said more than you want to listen to the circumstances. Because you can listen to the circumstances. You can listen to what's going on around you. We have some people who come out and play hockey first time. You know, I... I I'm out there, I'm supposed to be running the thing, so you know, I pull all the new guys aside and I tell them, this is what it's going to be like. I said, I don't care what kind of workout you've ever done, this is the worst thing you've ever gone through. It will be intense pain. You may throw up. Because a lot of them do. But you got to worry about it ahead of time. And so we go, I go through the whole thing and we let them know and, and, and things like that. But you know, and most people appreciate the warning ahead of time. Okay, well, if it gets to be like that, you may go over there and sit down. It's fine. We, don't, we, we, have, we have guys that you know, we'll, we'll head on out. We had this one guy. His name was Sean. I don't know if I ever told you about Sean. Sean showed up one night. He was new. I went through all the different things that he needed to do and told him about taking off. We had some subs and told him about taking off, you know, sitting off the side. And so he was playing. He was going around. He was running back and forth and stuff. And he stayed out there for about... Ten minutes after we started, hadn't taken a break. Other guys had already taken a break, and um, we knew he needed one. So we just, you know, go, Sean, just go sit down, take a break, come on back out. So he went over and he sat down and he took a break and he was in dis- uh, obvious discomfort. And so then he walked outside. Then he walked up and down. We, we assumed he was walking up and down the hallway, but we never saw Sean. Sean didn't come back into the room. And so, uh, you know, we just kept playing. Like, oh, I, I don't, what happened? I don't, we don't know what happened. He just, he just disappeared. Lo and behold, this girl shows up, comes into the, into the room, walks over to the bleachers and picks up a stick and some other stuff and then leaves. So we had to stop playing. We just thought that was hysterical. We called him from that point on one shift Sean. <laughs> He's one shift Sean. He just, he got focused on what he was going through at the time and lost sight of the goal. Lost sight of the goal. Never came back. Never saw Sean again. He's, Sean was gone. But you see, you, you can get caught up with, with that stuff. How many have ever tried an exercise program? You're all excited because you hear the benefit of this exercise program. Walking, running, treadmill, 
stair steppers, all those. You, you hear the benefit of it. Oh, this is good. You see the ad on TV for the gadget that helps you to run and jog and whatever else. And you buy the thing. It comes in. You put yourself on the thing and you get to go. And you have that vision. Because they show you the before and after, right? Before, after. I could be after. How many of ever? That's what they were trying to do. They're trying to build this up. They don't just show you one before and after. They got a lot of before and afters. They got folks that are older, folks that are younger. They got men, they got women. They want to build inside of you the image of what you can be. Like the army says, be all you can be. They want you to be all that you can be. So they paint that picture. They put that out there for you. Here it is. Come and get it. And you order the machine. You bring the thing in. You get on there. You go out of town. And oh boy, that felt pretty good. A little tired, but this is all right. And then the next day you wake up and oh. Oh, I can't move. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, oh I'm never doing that again. That was awful. Oh, they didn't tell me it was going to be like this. <laughs> Isn't that right? And so you lost sight of the after because of the present. This is what I'm going through now. I didn't know I would have to go through this. This, this is awful. I'm, I can't walk. I'm stiff. I hurt everywhere. This is not what I signed up for. I wanted the after, but I didn't know about this. Did they really go through this? And so we have that nice piece of equipment sitting around, not helping us at all. There is no after. We lost sight of the call. We lost sight of the goal because of the present, because of our situation. We need to, to get over that. They have an Israel in the New Testament. Now, God's call for them is still the same, isn't it? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down in the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So look at what he says to them. He read the part, this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to preach, uh, to, to, me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. So if we look at this scripture, do we not get the idea that the will of God is to preach the gospel to the poor? To heal the brokenhearted? Wouldn't that mean that it's not God's will for people to be brokenhearted? If Jesus was sent to heal the brokenhearted, then can there be any case of one who is brokenhearted that is God's will? It can't be, can there? If it's His will to heal the brokenhearted, well, let's go on. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Does that not tell us that it is not His idea for people to be captive? 
Didn't he tell you the one woman who's been over? She's been held in bondage all these years. Satan has held her in bondage all these years. Is that not a captive? He's come to proclaim liberty for them. And didn't he proclaim liberty for her? And recovery of sight to the blind. Would that not mean then that blind people is not God's will? If we have a blind person who because of their blindness is able to do things for God, does that make it? Well, for this person, they need to be blind. If the word says recovery of sight to the blind, then he means the blind, right? To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Would that mean that those who are oppressed are not in the will of God? Being oppressed? And he came to set them free? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord? Now, here's what's interesting. The folks of Israel, we've said this to you before, but the folks in Israel, they know the Scripture. They know the Scripture well. And they also know that it does not end where he ended. It doesn't even end with a period. It keeps going. It keeps going. If you go back to Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 4, it picks up where he left off. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Is that mid-sentence? He ended mid-sentence and closed the book. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where he read. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. And they shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities. The desolations of many generations. He stopped reading midway through. Now if you remember. That whole prophecy is about the Messiah's ministry. But Jesus knew that the Messiah's ministry was divided into two parts. The first part when he came as a lamb. And the second one when he comes as a lion. He read the first part. It was so much of a... Paul calls it a mystery. That the church age would separate the first ministry of Messiah from the second ministry of Messiah. He called it a mystery. It was so much of a mystery... That here in the prophet Isaiah, there's not even a pause between the two ministries. There's not even a period. He just keeps on flowing. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So he's sent to, these are the things that he is sent to do. He read it, I am the guy. I'm the guy. He's saying, me. Spirit of God is anointed me. In verse uh, 15 of Matthew, verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So who's he sent to? Israel, and what's he sent to do? Proclaim liberty, freedom, healing, all those different things that he was supposed to do. That's, that's what he is, he is to do. Now, look at the situation that Israel is in, in the New Testament. Jesus is sent to take care of all these things. Look at the situation that they're in. I'm just taking from Mark. You can go through many other places and see these. I'm just taking from Mark's Gospel. Three scriptures. Verse 1, verse 34. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. How many were sick? Many. How many were demon-possessed? Many. So we have oppressed people 
We have sick people. And He came and healed them. He healed many who were sick with various diseases. Verse uh, 13 of chapter 6. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Verse uh, 56 of chapter 6. Whenever He entered the villages, cities or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged Him that they might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. So they have a lot of sick people in Israel. And I mean, if all these different times he can heal many, and we're not even counting all the other gospels in the times that they just brought many and he healed them all. So many people are sick, many people are oppressed, many people are demon possessed in Israel. Is that God's will? No, because he sent Jesus to restore that back again and get that get that out of there. Because here's the word, here's the call, here's the situation. We lose sight of His will and His call. We lose sight of what the Word says because of our situation. One more. Here's David. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. David's call was to be king. Now, if you go through, I couldn't put all these scriptures in there for you. You'll have to go through and do the work yourself. Because there's a whole lot of them. You just keep on reading from this point on. David is continually barraged with situations that are contrary to his call. King's trying to kill him. Puts him in dangerous situations to try and get him to die. That's contrary to his call. He's got the army of Israel eventually against him. And he's on the run. And he can't even stay in his own hometown. His own country. And he has to leave his country, and go over to the Philistines' country to get away from them? Here's the king of Israel going over to the Philistines. What are you thinking? If you're David. But David kept the call in front of him. He didn't lose sight of the call. He didn't lose sight of the word, even though his situation wasn't so good. When Saul does die and he comes back, he says, God, should I go back? Yeah, go back. And he goes back up to his own hometown area, goes back up to Hebron, and uh, it, they anoint him king over Judah. He's not called to be king over Judah, is he? He's called to be king over Israel. So for seven years, he's king over Judah. His situation doesn't line up with his call, does it? You think the voices were talking to him? But he doesn't listen. He keeps going. You can go through and look what he says in the Psalms. You can go through and look what he says in uh, Samuel. First and second Samuel. And you'll see, he's not buying into what his situation is telling him. He is sold out for what God has said. This is what God has said. I'm not buying into my situation. I'm not buying into the things that are, that are going on around it. Now look at your situation. How many of you have situations contrary to the will of God? And sometimes we've gotten to the point, well, I guess this is what God just wants for me. I guess God just wants me to have this. So I guess God wants me to be this way. And we can line up with some of that. How many folks have ever been broken hearted? Sad. Depressed. Lonely. Out there saying, Oh God, I'm all by myself. And the enemy comes in because this is fertile ground. This is what God wants for you. God doesn't care about you. And you become broken hearted. Jesus was not sent to make broken hearted people. He was sent to heal them. He was sent to get that broken heartedness out of them. 
But the devil wants us to think, no, no, you'll never have any friends. You'll never find a wife. You'll never find a husband. It'll always just be you. No one else around you. And you'll be lonely. And you'll be depressed. And every day you'll hate getting up. And every day there's nothing that... Come on! The enemy seeks to see whom he can kill, steal, and destroy. That's not God. If you buy into it, if you adapt yourself and say, well, I guess God just wants this for me. I guess this is just my... No, don't do it. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted. If we got sickness and disease, and it's not going anywhere, it's been hanging around. We talked about that last time. Some stuff that just keeps hanging around. We sometimes adopt a whole new view because it keeps hanging around. But Jesus was sent to heal. He was sent to set at liberty the captives. There is nothing in this world that can hold you captive. If you're held captive, you don't have to be. You've been set free. Some people say, well, I had a lousy upbringing. Oh, my dad abused me. My mom did this. Now, just why, I, why I'm the way that I am. No, it's not. You're that way because you want to be. Stop blaming other people. I get just as tired of politicians blaming other people as I get people for blaming other people. Stop blaming everybody else. You know what? Take up. Stand up and take ownership. This is where my life is. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do something with it. What happens if you go out to your car? Oh, I can't drive the car anymore. How come? Well, it's almost out of gas. You can drive out to the gas station and get some more. Yeah, I know, but, you know, this is my situation. I have no gas in my car. So go change it. Well, I can't drive my car. I got no brakes. Go fix them. Well, I can't, you know, I can't go in my house. It's dirty. Hey, we got all kinds of excuses. We could put, but you know, some of the stuff that we do with God is just as stupid as sounding as that stuff is. Now, thank God he's like he is with Abraham. Come on, Abraham. Come on out here. Take a look up, up there. See what that is? This is not my will for you the way you are. That's my will. That's where I'm taking you. Now, here you are. That's okay, because I'm going to take you here. Here you are. I'm going to take you here. Get this picture. Here you are. I'm going to take you here. That means God doesn't want me here. He wants me here. What happens if I decide to stay here? Down here. In depression. In broken heartedness. In sickness and disease. In poverty and lack. What if I say, no, it's okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll stay here. But God says, yeah, but I want to take you here. No, I'm content here. It's all right. I mean, you know, I get my hopes up. It doesn't happen. I'll be sad. <laughs> what are you now? <laughs> what are you now? Wouldn't you rather be glad? So let him take you from the sad place and take you over here. And if we have situations in our life that are down here, they're not lining up with where God wants us up here, then what we need to do is get into His Word, meditate on it, get that picture like Abraham did. Took him 25 years to get out of that doldrum and get himself going. How long is it going to take you? Let's get out of this place down over here. Let's get up over here. Your happiness does not depend on anybody. It's a lie the devil has put out there to you. 
that the only way you can be happy is if you have this. You get that, you're not happy. I know I'll be happy if I just get this car. You get that car, and you're still not happy. I know I need, I got the wrong color. I need this one. It's always something that's just out there. You you can never be happy here because you always need this. I need something more over here. There's just something more this way. You know, we want to take the, uh, we want to take mama and put her in the elevator. That kind of thing. <laughs> I'm, I'll be happy if, if I get this. If only I had, and until I get, and until this happens, and we're always waiting. There's always something out there. There's always a reason why I'm here. Now, think, think back on Abraham. Abraham's given the promise by God. All right, Abraham, get up from your country. Go on down here to the land I'm going to show you. Abraham gets there. What's he do? He leaves. He gets to the new land and he leaves. You know why? Because there's no food. It said in the Word of God, go back there, go back into the Word. It said when he got to the new land, there was famine in the land, so he went down to Egypt. That worked out real well. He goes down there, because why? He gets down there, I hear the call of God, God's going to take me to a land, good land. I get down there, there's famine. He loses sight of what God says because of what's going on around. This is the man who made the Faith Hall of Fame. Apparently he did okay, he came back from it. We need to come back from it too. And we can. Now, we all can identify places where we're down here, where we don't want to be, have stuff we don't want to have, have things that are messing with us. I don't have this. I need this. I know if I get this, this will make me happy. Brother, uh, my, my pastor down there in Tulsa, he used to tell us, he said, uh, you know, some people will say, if you get married, that'll make you happy. And you, everybody believes that until they get married. He used to tell us, he said, be happy before you get married. And then you bring your spouse into the happiness you already have. I'd work out a whole lot better. I heard, now this wasn't my pastor down there. This is somebody else. He just said, he said, married people are always trying to get single people married. Have you noticed that? Married people are forever trying to get, as soon as they find out you're single, guess what? Ooh, I got, I got some people for you. <laughs> I got somebody for you to meet. As soon as they find out you're single, I got somebody. And I went through that for a long while, being an assistant pastor in a church, single, you are a target. I was targeted by every married woman in the church to find the right person for me. Targeted constantly. Oh, I have got somebody. Constantly. And I, and I heard somebody finally answer that question. Why is it that married people are always trying to get single people married? Because they want them to be as unhappy as they are. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I even forget who said it. But <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. But it does seem to be that way, doesn't it? Paul said, no matter what state I am, to be therein to be content. How many times is it that whatever state we are in, we are not content? If I'm single, I want to be dating somebody. If I'm dating somebody, I want to be single. If I'm married, I want to be single. If I'm single, I want to get married. 
People are just not happy. Because once I start dating the person, let me all know, there's problems. There's problems. Women just have problems. <laughs> I'm just making sure you're all still here. <laughs> nah, I'm just making sure you're all here. Now, if you talk to the women, the women say the men all have the problems. And the, and, cause you, but you know what? what's real funny? It, when the women get together and they're all talking about the people they're dating, that's what they talk about. They talk about the people they're dating. What's wrong with them? Why they're this way? Why they're that way? You know what the guys talk about when they get together? Other stuff. <laughs> other stuff. We don't mention nothing. We're just out there other stuff. That's just... <laughs> you still seeing that girl? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're off to other stuff. That's just what it is. That's, there's, there's differences between men and women. and that's Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. We talk about lots of stuff, actually. <laughs> it's just not the stuff that the women want us to talk about. That's all right. As soon as you women start talking about, you know, Michael Vick and... <laughs> nah, I'm just, just having fun with y'all. But you see, we get, this, we get to the plate, place where we're not content. We're not content. We always want to be different. I can't be content here. I'm single, I'm married, I'm this, I'm that, I'm poor, I'm rich, I'm employed, I'm not employed. I have a dog, I don't have a dog. Whatever it is, you know, I got a house, I got an apartment. I got a car, I don't have a car, I got a good car, I got a bad car. No matter what we have, there's a problem with it. We sit around, we complain about it, and we become unhappy. God says, I want to take you from where you are down here. That's not my will for you. I want to take you up over here. If you're not happy in your marriage, you don't have to trade in your spouse. Happiness is not found in trading in your spouse. It's found by doing the things that God says to do. You can find happiness with the person that you're with. You can find happiness with the children you have right now. You don't have to trade them in for new models. You can be happy with the car that you have right now. Wherever you are, you can be found to be happy. Paul said, whatever state I'm in, they're in to be content. But the devil wants to get us to be discontented and then to begin to think that, you know what? God wants you here. He wants you down in this. He's not doing anything to help you. What did Abraham say? You haven't given me any kids. We blame God. You haven't done anything about this situation. I'm still down here. I'm still lonely. I'm still sick. I'm still unemployed. I'm still... Whatever it is, we go over all the different things about it. We lay it on out there. You haven't done anything about it. We're not focusing on the will of God. We're focusing on the situations. As long as Israel focused on the situations, the wilderness did not change for them. We can't focus on situations. You look at another guy. We didn't get him down in there, but Saul. Saul was called by God and was taken high places and then got himself caught up in looking at situations and drug himself down. Get your eyes off of your situations that you are in and put your eyes on what has God called me to do. What has His Word promised me? What is His calling for my life? Focus on that calling and do that thing. Stay with it. But there's maintenance. Abraham, he had threats against his son. This is where all the promise comes from. It's from this guy. Any threat against that son? But how do you think he took that? Hey, but Joseph he had that call to be leader. He's in slavery and imprisonment. What's he got to do? I got to maintain this. I got to keep going over. Keep going over. Keep going over. 
Keep going over. If you want to keep your car in good shape, what do you have to do? Maintain it. You don't wait until it doesn't start to fix things. You start to change the oil. Check the hoses. Look at the filters. You do maintenance stuff like that because it helps the thing out. Moses, he had his own non-acceptance of the call that he had to be the deliverer. Israel didn't accept him to be the deliverer. And that threw him into a tailspin for a while. And then when God calls him from the burning bush, he says, uh-uh, you need to get somebody else for this one. That's, oh, no, no, no. He was so caught up in his situation, he could not see God's call anymore. And then he gets out there, and he does the call of God, and Pharaoh responds negatively. Oh, man, what am I doing? I can't be doing this sort of stuff. This is, look, it's even worse. God, why did you do this? Why did you bring me here? He gets all depressed. He gets all down. That's the last time he got that way. Paul, famine, shipwreck, beatings. How many times? How many know it takes some maintenance to get through all those? It takes some time. You got to maintain. Father God, what you promised me? What did you say? Joseph in the prison. God, this is what the vision. This is what the vision was. This is what the call was. This is what I need to do. I'm, I am going to be that. I am going after that. That's where I am going. Father God, you tell me what it is that I got to do to get there. I don't get caught up with the situation. I get caught up with where I'm going. If you are driving your car, do you not drive your car with your eyes ahead? If you get your car, get your vision on your situation and look at your instrument panel the whole time, what happens? You will eventually crash because you don't know which way to steer the car. Steer the car. They keep doing things all the time to help keep your eyes on the road. So you don't need to look at the instrument panels. Some of them even talk to you now. I think you can turn that off if you don't like it, but just tells you what's going on. I saw one of them. They actually flash it up on the, on the windshield. I don't know who did it, but they actually take the this information you need and they flash it right up on the windshield so that it, you can see right through it, but you can see the information right there on your windshield. Never have to take your eyes off the road. I haven't tried it. I don't know if I like it or not. I just know that it's out there. They got cars now that'll back up for you and put you into a parking space. Don't even need to parallel park anymore. Well, is the will of God for me always future? Sometimes we get the idea that the will of God for me is always future. And I get the idea that I can never make it. I'm always striving for something. It's always out there. As soon as I get out to this part, it gets yanked a little bit further ahead. You ever do that with a dog or a cat? Cats are whole lot of fun to do this with. This is one of the few things that are fun to do with cats. Well, there's a few others, but I don't mention those. <laughs> you take the, the little cat toy and you put it on the floor with a string and the cat comes up to it and you pull the string. And then you pull it again. And then you pull it again. And the cat never gets wise to it, it seems like. They just keep going after it. Pounce, 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 pounce. Pull it again. Pull it again. <laughs> just keep going there. And all that cat's just going all over, trying, going nuts to trying to get that thing. And it's, sometimes we think that's what God is doing. He just, oh, we're just about that. No, you're not. You've got to go out to this part now. Oh, I'm almost there. No, you're not. You've got to get out to this part now. But you know, there's, there's some people who made it to their call. They made it to their call. Moses was one. What was his call? lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Did he not do that? He led them out of Israel. He's in the wilderness or doing the development things they need to do until Israel disobeyed. Then the call was, all right, now you need to lead them around the wilderness. But he did what his call was. He fulfilled his call. 
Paul's goal, God says, you're going to take the message to the Gentiles. Did he do it? He did. He eventually got to the point, he says, you know what, there's no new cities to go to. I think I'll come to Rome. That's why he was writing the, the book of Rome, of, of Rome and why he was going to go there. It's because he had gone every place else. He didn't want to go to any other place where someone else had already sold. He wanted to go to new places, but he ran out of new places. So, so he said, I think I'll come to Rome. Look at Deuteronomy 34 and verse 7. We can keep on going. There's all kinds of folks that are out there. Moses, or Abraham, did he not fulfill his call? He had the, the promised child. He did the thing with the sacrifice. He fulfilled his call. Did Jesus fulfill his call? Surely did. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, Moses was 120 years. When did he answer the call? Well, he was 40 years old at the, at the, at the, um, uh, when he, he ran off. 80 years old, I believe it was, when he came on down to Israel. 40 years later, after leading them around the wilderness, it says he's 120 years old. He's 120 years old when he died. Now look at this. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Why do you think God put that in there? Is it the brag on Moses? <laughs> it's not the brag on Moses, is it? Let me show you one more scripture. Psalm 105, verse 37. He also brought them, Israel, out with silver and gold, and there, when, this, when he brought him out of Israel, or when he brought him out of Egypt, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Can you bring, imagine bringing out the millions of people that were in Egypt, and none of them was feeble? None of them. Why does God bring these things up? He's letting you know, folks, this is my will. This is my will. I don't want you to become diminished with age. But how many times have we bombarded with things? Well, you know, you're getting old. Well, you know, can't always do that. Somebody tried to do that with me at hockey the other a couple of weeks ago. Because I am uh, the I am either the or one of the elder statesmen there. I'm the oldest guy playing. And they said, well, you know, you probably won't be doing this for too much longer. <laughs> I laughed at them. I run circles around them because I do not expect to become diminished. Don't expect. You see, it's it's a situation. People will bombard you with things. Well, you know, it's just always going to be that way. Well, that's just going to happen. Who says? Who says that that's what's going to happen? When you have asked God, when you have found in His Word that this is His will, when you have prayed and said, Father God, this is what I need, this is what Your Word promised me, and you've asked for that thing, and what you get, it's not there yet, well, you, you got pretty good. I mean, it's, it's better than it was. Why don't you just... <sighs> Come on. Let's not do that. What does His Word say? What is his promise? What is his will? Because what he wills, he wants. Now get this down. Please understand this one. God called Israel out of Egypt to go into the promised land. God called Moses to be the deliverer. 
God called Abraham to be the father of many. God called Saul to be king over Israel. God called David to be king over Israel. Those are just a few examples. But in those few examples that we have there, how did God tolerate the idea of failure? <laughs> Not in his vocabulary, is it? When Israel kept messing with the idea of failure, let's just die in the wilderness, let's just go back to Egypt, how did God receive that? He's angry, wasn't he? When Moses said, no, I'm not going to be the deliverer, what happened with God? Oh, that's okay, Moses, I'll find somebody else then. What did he do? You will get yourself down there and you will deliver my people now. <laughs> now quit this and get on over there. He was not happy with it, was he? When Saul decided to become king in his own way, what, what did God do? He's upset. God was upset with Saul. Went out and got David. When Elijah decided that, you know what, it's been long enough, good ministry, good years, uh, I'm just going to call it quits. What did God say? What are you doing here? God does not take kindly to us faltering on his will. He is patient and he leads us along. But when we get to the point where we keep saying no out of just pure disobedience, purely that I just don't want to do it. I just don't see that I can get it done. God says, come on. When Israel said, I want a king like the other nations, God said, oh, well, whatever you want. There is God's will. And God wants us to follow that call, that will. He wants us to do it. He's very patient. He leads us along. He will help us when we feel inadequate. When we don't have the right knowledge or understanding. He helps us. He, here you go. Abraham, the whole time. How many times has God... God doesn't slap him upside the head until we get to that last year. And he laughed. <laughs> and he, he said, oh, that's not going to happen. And God's, God really got into it. Got into him on it. And he shaped up right away. And that was the last you saw Abraham disbelieve. But up until then, God kept coming in. There, Come on outside. Take a look at the set. Come on outside. Take a look at the stars. Here's my word again. Let me, let me go over to you again. Here's the promise again. Here's the promise. How many times did God give the promise to Abraham? How many times did God have a conversation with him over the promise? God is patient. God is loving. God is kind. He wants to lead us up over there. But if we get to a point where we just say, I'm not going to do it, then God says, mm -hmm. you don't want to take me on, boy. <laughs> Ever said that to you? He says it to me. You don't want to take me on, boy. <laughs> I said, no, sir, I don't. <laughs> no, no. Okay, I understand. And, you, and you, you shape up. And you go, don't take on God, you'll lose. Satan lost, you're going to lose. We'll lose. But God wants to lead us and help us and get us there. Whether it be healing, whether it be finances, whether it be loneliness, depression, brokenheartedness, oppression, bondage, whatever it is, He wants to lead us to the place we can get out of it. It's His goal. It's His will. This is what I want for you. But when we go around and we represent our God. Well, I guess God just wanted me to go through this. I guess God just wanted me to have this. 
we are representing to the world something about our God that is not true. How kindly do you take to people representing things about you that are false? You don't like it, do you? You get up there, why would you say that about me? You know that's not true. Why would you say that? Don't misrepresent our God. Find out what he says in his word. Find out what his call is. And say, Father God, I realize that where I am is not where you're calling me. But you've got a way to lead me and get me there. Even to the point that Moses, who deliberately disobeyed, went in the wrong direction and resisted God's prodding to get him back. So much so that God had to go out and get a burning bush. Don't think that was God's first attempt. That's the first one he listened to. That's not his first attempt. But God will lead you on through. He wants to bring you out. Look over again what Jesus' ministry is. And that's what he is to you. Because initially he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But guess what? In the New Covenant, all those who believe in faith in Jesus are seeds of Abraham. That means Jesus' ministry is to us, to everyone. Glory to God. Would you all stand up with me? Hallelujah, Father. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you, Father, that you have a goal, you have a place for us to get to. It's different from where we are. But you have a way. A way to map it out and to bring us. It's a way sometimes we can't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. We look at Joseph and we see how he got there and we just don't see how how could that be. We look at Moses and how he got there. How does that happen? Look at David. How in the world did he go from watching sheep despised by his own family to get to a place to be king? But the way never bothered you. You just want our, us to be willing, to be shaped, to listen, to heed your call, to hold to your word, to go over your promises, and to let them be more real to us in the situation that we're in. Because our situations are speaking to us. They are hollering loud. This is what's going on. You're this way. You're that way. This is going on. You have this. But Father, you have something far more for us out there. Help us to tune in to your voice over all the things that we hear. And we can tune in to what you say and your promise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. I hope you all get out there and, and begin to see where life is different, where you are, where God wants to take you. Just because you are where you are doesn't mean that God wants you there. Or that God had a plan for it. God has a purpose for it. God wants to take you someplace. It doesn't matter where you are. No matter where you are, He can get you there. The Word of God should show you that. No matter where you are, He can get you to where He wants to be.